Today in part eight, I wanted to title it, Be Prudent. But I realized that many of you graduated from Socrates High School. And the word prudent is in the Bible. But if Mary Heflin was not your teacher in, in school, then you might not know what prudent means. The word prudent means like wise and careful. If someone was investing your money, you would want them to be prudent. So I had to change the title and get out of my, my comfort zone of not having it start with the letter B. And the title of today's sermon is Prioritize Your Life. Prioritize Your Life. Okay, here we go. So imagine that today after service, I gave you a check for $86,400. You know what? Let's imagine it's cash. Cash, in a big old briefcase, $86,400. And I told you, you can spend that money any way you want to. Do whatever you want to with it. Go wherever you want to go. This is your money to spend. But here's the key. At 24 hours on the dot, after the moment that I handed you that money, all the money of that $86,400 that you did not spend, all of that that you did not spend completely disappears. It disintegrates. You're never, ever, ever going to see it again. It's a one-time offer. If I did that for you, do you know how focused you would be as you spent that $86,400? Do you know how purposeful and intentional you would be? You wouldn't let one single penny of that money go to waste. Why? Because you see that $86,400 gift as extremely valuable. You see it as a very high commodity. Well, God has given us something that is a higher commodity than money. We can make more money, but we can't make more time. And this morning when you woke up, God gave you 86,400 seconds. And you can spend those 86,400 seconds any way you want to. You, you can invest that 86,400 seconds. The way you invest it is by coming to church. That's an investment. You can invest it by being good to people. You can invest it by encouraging people. You can invest it by coming to a small group, by reading your Bible, by worshiping freely, by, by stepping out in faith, doing the things God's called you to do. That's an investment. You can invest it by being positive. Sometimes it's hard to do that. Last weekend I went to New York, and the main reason I went was to go to my first Broadway play ever. I was so excited. The tickets were very expensive. Mark was in charge of the itinerary. And he kept telling us the whole time, it starts at 8 o'clock, it starts at 8 o'clock, it starts at 8 o'clock. He made us reservations at a very nice restaurant at 6 o'clock. We ate, we got there 10 minutes to 8, and we were there for the intermission. We had missed the first hour and a half. Oh, Mark. Oh, Mark is right. Now, I was in charge of the tickets. I had the tickets in my pocket. But Mark was in charge of the itinerary. So I don't know whose fault it was, Mark, but, but... It was very difficult to invest that time being positive. Now, we can, I had to get that story somewhere in the sermon. It just makes me feel better to say it publicly. But anyway, now we can waste that 86,400 seconds. We can waste it by playing Call of Duty till 2 o'clock in the morning. Call of Duty is a Nintendo game for some of y'all or an Atari game for some of y'all. It's, it's, uh, it's a waste of that time to get drunk. It's a waste of that time to be negative. It's a waste of that time to be lazy or lethargic. It's a waste of that time to, to skip out on going to church and stay home and sleep in. It's a waste of time. Here's the difference, though. However you spend that 86,400 seconds, 24 hours later, it is completely gone, and you're never going to be able to get it back. There's no redos. Once you have spent this day, this day is over and gone, never to be done again. 
So the question is, did you invest those 86,400 seconds or did you waste those 86,400 seconds? Titus 3.14 says, let us spend our time well so that we don't end up with nothing to show for our lives. Coming to church is a good investment. Uh, Family time, good investment. Exercising, good investment. Being unorganized, bad investment. Uh, 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 um, Just going around getting high on drugs, bad investment. Um, Being lethargic, uh, being rude, self-centered, selfish, bad investment. Here's the thing is, you want to get a return on your time. Just like you invest money, you want to get something to show for it. At the end of the day, you want to show, here's what I have because of how I spent my time wisely. Here's what I can show. Uh, There was a, a lighthouse keeper who worked off of a very rocky coastline. And he was given a certain amount of oil each month to keep the beacon, the light burning at the top of the lighthouse. This first week that he started the job, uh, this elderly man came knocking on the door. He was traveling through the night, and he needed some oil to, to put inside of his lamp so he could see. And the lighthouse keeper didn't want him to be traveling through the night in the dark, so we gave him a little bit of oil. Still, a few days later, another man came by, and he was traveling along, and he needed just a little bit of oil to lubricate his wheel. He was riding next to his bike, wasn't able to get on top of And so the lighthouse keeper thought, you know what, it's just a little bit of oil. So he gave them that little bit of oil and sent him on his way. About a week later, this woman came by through the middle of the night. She was with her son, and she complained and said, I need a little bit of oil to keep my family warm. Our heater's gone out. We're going to freeze to death. The lighthouse keeper couldn't bear to see her in that predicament, so he gave her a little bit of oil that she needed as well. Before the month had ended, he noticed that his oil supply had run low, so he quickly sent for some more to come. Before the supply got to him that first night, the beacon went out, and three ships had an accident. Hundreds of people died. When the authorities came to invest the situation, the lighthouse keeper was very repentant. He said, I only use the oil for good purposes, only for good things. But they rebuked him sharply and said, you were given oil for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to keep that light burning. I find in life, if we don't spend our time well, if we don't learn how to invest it, the enemy can even send good things in front of us to keep us from God's best things in our life. Have you ever seen somebody that is literally, literally just throwing away money? Like they're just, they're just throwing away, you think, what in the world are you doing? You're just completely wasting it. If you haven't seen that, come with me and my kids to Dave and Buster's. Now, I don't mind dropping a 20, even per kid sometimes. They have a good time playing. But there's this machine, like a claw machine. They have it like Denny's and the arcades. And that claw machine, now my kids are good at it. Asher is really good at it. Other kids will actually pay for Asher to play so he can win them something. But when I get behind the claw machine, I'll even say a prayer something like this. God, I've preached 500 sermons for you. I've even gone to Jamaica one time on a mission trip. God, I've sacrificed in things in my life. God, I love you so much. I serve you every week. I just want to win just one just one little pink stuffed animal that's worth 10 cents that has only one eyeball. God, I really want this present. And sure enough, like $85 later, God answers my prayer. I get that little pink animal. But I look and I think, where did this money go to? I completely threw it away. A lot of people are doing that same thing in life with something more valuable than money. They're doing it with the time God's given them. And the reason is, is because they haven't prioritized their life well. 
They haven't prioritized. They haven't, they haven't um, uh, literally written down, God, this is the order of the things I need to spend my time. Because here's the key. When we spend our time, we're spending our destiny. When you spend your time, you're spending your life. When you spend your time, you're spending the most valuable commodity available to you. You know, there's, there's a, a guy right now who's a billionaire in the world, and he's dying of a disease, and he would literally give every single penny he has to have what you got today, 86,400 seconds. He would give a billion dollars. You have something so valuable, a billion dollars cannot buy it. You've been given this day. How sad is it? For us to get to heaven one day and realize we wasted years and years and years of our life living in fear, uh, being negative, uh, being self-centered. We wasted years of our life. Here's what I find. If we don't prioritize our life, somebody else is going to prioritize it for us. If we don't prioritize our life, do you know who's going to prioritize it for you? Your grown children. They will suck your retirement dry if you let them. You say, well, they got kids and my grandkids need me. No, your grandkids need parents that'll step up and do what they're supposed to do and learn from their mistakes and and grow and get jobs and work hard and come to church. They don't need you. Once they're 18 years old, you got to stop letting them be the main priority in your life. Cut the umbilical cord, people. You got like 35-year-old kids that are always calling you when their car breaks down, always needing money. See, now I'm probably going to get beat up after church by all the people that are under 40 years old in here afterwards. But if you don't prioritize your life, you know who will prioritize your life? The wrong influences will prioritize your life. And they'll call you every time they're depressed, they need you. And if they don't have you, what are they going to do? And you think, oh my God, they need me. What am I, I'm supposed to be a Christian and I just can't take it anymore. You got to point them in the direction of God. You should not be their number one priority. There should not be your number one priority. Do you know who should be our number one priority? You know, it would be so interesting if there was a scripture somewhere in the Bible that told us who our number one priority should be. That way we wouldn't have to worry about it. We wouldn't have to think. We wouldn't have to ponder all day long. We wouldn't have to concentrate and say, who is my number one priority? If there was just some scripture in God's word that taught, there's one, Mark 12, 30. Ready? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. There is nothing more important than this. The first four of the Ten Commandments are about our relationship with God. The last six are about our relationship with people. God cares very, very much about relationships. Um, These are things that moth and rust will not destroy. These are things that can give you eternal rewards. But if God is number one priority in your life, then serving his body, the local church, is on your weekly schedule. If God, now don't tell me that God's number one in your life and you don't serve him in the local body church. Don't tell me, God, I, I just love him and I try to be a good person. I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says if you love God, you'll try to be a good person. If you love God, you'll do what his heart is for, and his heart is for building his kingdom. His heart is for drawing more people to him. His heart is for making disciples of him. There was this, uh, this guy who didn't want to go to church one Sunday, and his, his mom came in his bedroom and said, son, we, we need to go to church today. We, we need to go honor God. And uh, he said, I, I'm, not, I'm not going today. So she came back in the room, and she turned his lights on, and she opened up his blinds, let the sun in. She said, son, we're going to church this morning. And he said, Mom, I'm not going to church today. She came back in a third time, and she ripped the blankets off of his bed. She said, no matter what, we're going to church. She said, give me three good reasons why I should go to church. She said, number one, it's Sunday morning. Number two, you're 38 years old. And number three, you're the pastor. <laughs> we can all find some kind of excuse. Ready? Luke 
Luke 4, 16, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. This means that it was a habit for Jesus to come to church. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think if Jesus had some friends or family in town visiting that he would have skipped out on church? Do you think that if Jesus had some relatives come in from Capernaum or Bethlehem or I don't know any more cities over there, so whatever you know, <laughs> those are the only two I know, but whatever, let's say, for, for the sake, Jesus had family come from Myrtle Beach, Pastor Pam, I know that city. Do you think that he would have skipped out on church that Sunday morning? No. I, I want to give you a point that I hope you remember the rest of your life, okay? Whoever you prioritize before Jesus will never serve Jesus. Uh, for some reason, the only time I've ever seen this in my life is in Myrtle Beach. I know no other place in the world that's like this, but in Myrtle Beach, when a relative or a friend comes to visit you, for some reason, people think that's the excuse not to serve God, not to worship, not to give that Sunday. We're going to stay home and let that person be a higher priority than our church family. And do you know that Jesus thought that um, believers were more of a priority than his own blood relatives? If you study the scripture, you'll find out. So here's, here's what people do is they say, oh, you know what? You don't want to go to church. You're busy. That's fine. We won't go to church today either. We'll stay and hang out with you. Here's what you've done. You've guaranteed that they will never give their life to Christ. And here's why. Why would they serve a God who they are more powerful than? The reason I, I, I enjoy communicating isn't because I know God's word. It's because I know human nature. Human nature will not serve a God who they are more powerful than. And so if you allow this person, because I know, I, know, I know men who are very manly men and they seem very strong and, you know, they're athletic and they got the beard and they got the beer belly and you think they're a manly man and their wife doesn't go to church so they don't go to church. They let their spouse talk them into staying home. They let their friends talk them saying, what you're doing is you're guaranteeing that person, why would somebody serve God who they're more powerful than? If they can somehow become a better priority in your life than God Almighty, why in the world would they give their life to him? Here's what, here's what you should say. You should say, listen, I'm glad you're visiting with me. I'm glad you're in town. I love you. You don't have to go to church, but no matter what happens, I am going to be at church. I'm going to serve my church family. I'm going to give. I'm going to worship God. I was a wretch before he found me. I was destined for hell before God came into my life. He turned my life around. Even now I have problems, and so I go to church not because I'm perfect. I go because he's perfect. I worship him not because I've done everything right, but because he's done everything right. He gave his life for me. He turned my life around. He's done miracle after miracle after miracle. I can list a hundred things right now off the top of my head. And you think I'm going to stay home for you? You think I'm going to sit at home or go to the beach or go on the waterway with you after what God's done for me? He's done thousand times more than you could ever do for me. And you think I'm going to honor you over him? I have to go to church. I love my church family. They've done, they, they bring me food when I'm sick. You don't do that. They pray for me when I'm upset. You don't do that. Man, they worship with me. They meet me down at the altar. They teach my children. They serve, they give for me, and you think I'm going to stay home for you? Man, I have to go to church. I have to worship God. When you say that, one day when that person is hurting, when one day when the bottom's dropped out in their life, one day when everything gets flipped, turned upside down, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, i got to find that God that my friend or my family, whatever, that my, left me for, i got to find that powerful God that they give up an entire day of their week for him. i got to get a hold of that God. When you, man, this is a way better sermon than y'all are letting me know. This was so good. I'm going to go home and watch this sermon two times and take notes. <laughs> Human nature is never going to 
give their life to something that they are more powerful than. It's, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay, good. The Israelites spent 400 years in slavery. 400 years, and they worked their fingers to the bone seven days a week. Everybody say seven days a week. God delivered them out of slavery. Now they're on the way to the promised land, and they're still working seven days a week. Everybody say seven days a week. Here's the reason they did that, because if you did not work, you literally did not eat. There was no refrigerator to keep the meat in. There was no Walmart or McDonald's to go get anything from you. Literally, if you did not get up and till the land and plant and harvest and milk the cows and kill the goats, and if you did not, you literally, you and your children would starve. There was no produce, no fruit coming from that. You had to work seven days a week. And so Moses brings in the Ten Commandments from Almighty God, and they understand most of them, don't kill, we got it, don't steal, okay, don't lie, are you sure? They go on. But there was one commandment they thought, we don't understand this, we don't get it, this doesn't make sense to us. It's Exodus 20, verse 8. They said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Withdraw from employment. The seventh day, you're not going to do any work. They didn't get it. They thought, wait, 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 you don't understand, God. If we don't work, we don't eat. If you're saying you want us to give up working, to give up getting food, to give up getting a harvest, and just come and worship you? You want us to give? God, we're trying to get. We don't, we're trying to receive. We're trying to get food for our family. You're telling me if we come and worship you that, that somehow that we'll, we'll be better off? We don't get this. God was saying, trust me, I'll take the six days of work that you did do. I'll make it go further than if you did seven days on your own if you'll give me one of those days a week. Just one day a week. They didn't get it. They began to get together and worship God with no work. They honored him. They would worship and they would give and they would serve. And they'd think, okay, we're going to go home and there's not going to be anything there. We're going to miss out. We're going to starve. Our kids are going to be hungry. And God would give them such produce, such fruit, such blessings. God blessed a day of their life in which they did nothing but worship and serve him. It was dedicated totally to him, and he blessed it. Blessed doesn't mean just to prove it. Blessed means he multiplied their fruit. He gave them extra. He gave them more. They were rewarded. They were blessed. Good things happened, and they did nothing. They were shocked out of their mind. Here we're doing nothing but giving, and God is giving us more in return. We don't get this. They loved it so much they couldn't wait for Sunday to come along. They could not wait for that day to come along Saturday, whatever it was for them. They could not wait for that day to come along to where they didn't work and they just honored and worshiped and gave. They were appalled. They were just, God, we don't get it. You're such a good God in our life. We don't have to work. Man, they, man I'm telling you, if, if their day was Sunday, let's say, Monday morning when they got up, they could not wait for the next Sunday to come along. They could not wait. We're going to work six days, six days, and then this day we're just going to give it to God and God's going to give us so much back. They were amazed that God could bless a day in which they did nothing but worship and give and honor him. Another thing about priorities is this. Don't let the wrong people become a priority in your life. Don't let the wrong people become a priority. There are some people, <clears throat> they don't want to grow. They don't want to change. They don't want to gain from life's experiences. They only want to steal your resources. They only want to steal your time, your energy. Your, we only have a certain amount of emotional energy. If I spend my emotional energy today in the wrong areas with the wrong people or getting offended or bitter or upset, I'm not going to have the emotional energy that I need to have fun and enjoy my children. If I, just like with money, if I spend all of my money in the wrong areas, I'm not going to have the money I need to pay the light bill. Okay? In the same way, if I spend my time 
with the wrong people in the wrong years, we have to constantly evaluate, is this person furthering me towards my God-given destiny? Are they growing in their God-given destiny? Or are they just sucking me dry for all the resources I have? Proverbs 14, 7 talks about um, prioritizing. It says, here's what's a waste of time. Don't let this go on your priority list. Foolish people. It's a waste of time to do any. What does it mean to be foolish in the Bible? In the Bible, the word foolish means this. Someone who doesn't want to grow. Are you actually helping these people get closer to their God-given destiny? Are they coming to church? Are they becoming productive? Are they growing? Are they getting in small groups? Are they learning? Or do they only want what you can give them this week? You say, but John Paul is my kid, and I, lo- I love him so much. If you love him, you'll point them to God and not you. Stop being God in people's lives. That's an idol. Some of you have allowed yourself to become a golden image, an idol in one of your relative or friend's life because you haven't learned the secret word, no. I'm not talking about K-N-O-W either. N-O. Learn to say, I'm not, and listen, you got to take this in balance. Yes, we should give. Yes, we should serve. But if all that person wants to do is take, you got to learn to say no. Our goal is to push people to Jesus, not push people to us. And to some of y'all, you enjoy being God in people's life. You can't wait for them to call you and need you. It makes you feel important. Are you really wanting to sit on the very throne of God that is only reserved for him and him alone because you like when that person always calls and takes from you? What's going to happen one day when you run out of money? What's going to happen whenever um, you run out of energy? What's happening when you're in the hospital one day and now that person is growing, and now they're even worse off because you've prolonged their misery by getting in between them and God, and God's trying to teach them. God's trying to draw them closer to him. God's trying to let them gain from world, from, from world experience, and you've gotten in the way over and over and over and over again, and now you're in the hospital, run down, you lose all your resources. This is a good sermon! <laughs> I'm either really passionate about this or I'm, I'm sick because I'm sweating, but either way, this is really good. Um, when we first started the church, I was 26 years old. I didn't know nothing. Now I only know like 2%, but back then I knew less than 1%. And I was so excited people were coming to church. We had like five, 10 people this, the, at first, and this elderly lady started coming to church. She was maybe in her 775, something like that. And she came to me one Sunday after church, and she said, um, a good pastor uh, visits his flock. I said, okay, and I didn't see that in the Bible anywhere, but I thought, okay, I, I didn't know much about the Bible at all when I started pastoring. I knew like three scriptures. And so, um, so I said, okay. So she said, I'll see you Wednesday at 10 o'clock. I said, okay. So I went to her house Wednesday, 10 o'clock. I pull in. Right when I walk in the door, she hands me her vacuum. She says, you do the downstairs and then carry it upstairs and I'll do the upstairs. I thought, okay. So I vacuumed her house and I carried it upstairs. Then she said, I need you to help me get my husband out of bed and into the kitchen. He was, um, he was, he was disabled. He was um, already losing part of his mind, his mental capacity. And so I helped her get her husband out of the bedroom into the kitchen. She said, I need you to stay here and feed my husband while I run a few errands. So I stayed there and I fed her husband cereal for like an hour and a half while she ran a few errands. When she came back, gave her a hug, said, you know, good to see you. I'll see you Sunday. And I left there thinking, dear God, I'm never, ever going to do that again the rest of my life. That Sunday morning, she came to me and said, I'll see you Wednesday at 10 o'clock. I said, why? I said, well, you need to come visit your flock. So that Wednesday, I went back. Now, this went on for three or four months, every single week without fail. Now, there are pastors who enjoy visiting people. <laughs> and God has given them such blessings, and we love them so much. 
But my main calling is to work on my sermons and to lead leaders and train leaders. And I want more leaders, so I'd love for any of y'all to become leaders in church. But that's my main priority. And so by doing this, it was taking away from the main things God called me to do. And this went on three or four months. Finally, one Sunday, uh, because here's what, I was either going to quit pastoring or have to tell her no, one or the other. And it was that bad because I was 26, 27 then, and I didn't know at all what to do. And I thought, if this is what it means to pastor, I don't have time to do the things that I really feel called to do, my passions. So I, I can't do this. So I went to her one Sunday. I said, listen, I love you, love your husband, but I'm not going to come visit you anymore. She looked at me and said, then I'm not coming to your church anymore. And I said, do you promise? And so, no, I said, I'm so, actually, to be honest, I actually went home and cried my eyes out because I'd never heard anything like that. It hurt me so bad. I didn't understand it. And so, it's so interesting, but um, I see this lady all the time through town. And just a few months ago, I was in Walmart. She's about 90 years old now. She came and gave me a big old hug. She kissed me on the cheek. She said, in 10 years, I've still not found a pastor as good as you. (laughs) And I said, you probably found a lot more better pastors than me who are willing to tell you no and be a good pastor and prioritize their life. If we don't prioritize our life, somebody else will. Usually it's the voices who scream the loudest in your life. The the relatives, the friends, the people you just can't. And if someone gets all bent out of shape and upset because you use the word no, they're wanting to control you more than they are wanting to be your friend or seek your help or actually grow closer to God. you got to learn to say no. Back in 1996, I was um, 16, 17 years old, and I was asked to speak. I'm sorry, I was asked to play the piano at a, um, at a graduation, a college graduation. And so, you know, I played, and I was there in the front row. And I'll never forget this Lutheran minister was the speaker for the graduation, and he did something that forever changed my life. He had a, he had a jar very similar to this, and he brought out three large rocks, and he put the rocks inside of the jar. And then he asked the audience, the congregation, he said, is this jar full? And everyone just assumed yes, so everybody just kind of shouted out yes. After that, he brought forth another container filled with smaller rocks. And he poured the smaller rocks into the container, and then he looked at everyone and said, is this jar full? And everyone said, well, yes, definitely full now. Then he brought another container out filled with even smaller pebbles. And he poured those inside the jar, and they went all through the insides, all around it. And he asked the audience, is this jar full? Half the people said yes, half the people said no. He then brought out a cup of sand, and he poured the sand in the jar, and it went all through the sides. He shook it up, man, the whole thing looked like you couldn't fit another single inch of anything inside the jar. He asked the congregation if it was full. Everybody said yes. Then he pulled out some water, and he poured the water in this large jar in the container. It went right through the edges all the way down, seeped to the bottom, and he finally said, is this jar full? And everyone in the whole room agreed, yes, it is full. At the very end of his experiment, he looked at everyone and he said, what does this tell you? And at the time, I was 16 years old. I was very arrogant, prideful. I had to be loud. I always had to be the first one to say something, very similar to how I am now. And I was in the front row, and I yelled out, this means no matter how much you have going on in life, There's always room for more. And he looked at me in front of several hundred people. He pointed at me and said, wrong. What this means is, if you don't put the large rocks in first, you're never going to get them in at all. So my question is, what are the large rocks in your life? I hope that one of them is God. 
serving the local church. I hope that another is your marriage, your children that are under 18 years old. I hope another one is maybe your health. These are things that if you don't get them in first, if you don't prioritize your life well, if you don't use wisdom, then you're never going to be able to get those large rocks in at all. They have to go first. In the Old Testament, Solomon was very, very wise, and he tried everything he could to be happy. He prioritized money, and it didn't make him happy. He prioritized relationships, women, didn't make him happy. He prioritized fame, popularity, didn't make him happy. Finally, at the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he said, after all this, the end of the matter is this, worship God, obey his commands. This is the original purpose of man, the foundation of all happiness. This is what life is all about. If you're not happy today, if you don't have this fulfillment on the inside, if you don't feel like you're doing what you were purposed to do, could it be that God is not first place in your life? Um, a few years ago, I'll, I'll close with this, but a few years ago, um, my Uncle Robert passed away of cancer. Um, Uncle Robert was a very good guy, nice guy. Um, he had been through several marriages. He had one son, and he was estranged from that son. But he went to college many, many years, got degree after degree. He was brilliant. He was a millionaire. He had all kinds of old antique cars that were in perfect condition, like a 68 Ford or a Model T. When he died, he died a millionaire. He passed his money and his, his cars down to his son, who he didn't even really talk to half the time. But when he died, he died alone. When he stepped into eternity, he stepped into an empty heaven for him. It's going to last for billions and billions of centuries. Whatever he got, that's, that's what he got. He didn't serve in church. When he died, he didn't have any church family there praying for him. He didn't have a pastor that would come to see him in his last few moments. He didn't have anybody bringing him food. He wasn't singing in the choir. He wasn't ushering. He stepped into eternity completely alone. Over the past 10 years, I've had several church members that have passed away. Two who are the most productive of all would be Nellie English and John Ross. They passed away in the, just in the past year or so. Nellie loved to give. She was a giver, giver, giver. She never once complained in 10 years. She's been with me since the very beginning. Never once complained. Never once had a suggestion. Never once thought we should do something different. She just came and served and loved. She could sing really well. She sang alto. She sang in the choir. She'd bring food to people when they were sick. In her final few weeks, she was encouraging me. Her final few weeks, she sang in the choir. She gave in the offering. John Ross, he would run errands for us. He'd fix things around church. He'd spray the wasp's nest out on the playground. Um, John could not sing that well, but he sang in the choir anyway. When Nellie died, she stepped into eternity, knowing that just weeks before, she sang in the choir. Just weeks before, she gave in the offering. Just weeks before, she worshipped God freely without caring what people thought of her. When John Ross died, the Sunday before he died, he carried a tune in a bucket up here in the choir. He ran an errand for the church. He was a small group leader. If you died this week, or if you found out you were dying this week, 
How would your priorities change those final few days? And what are you waiting for? Don't you want to step into eternity knowing the week before you worshiped God on Sunday morning? The week before you gave him the offering? The week before you were part of a small group of Bible study drawing closer to God? Or do you want to die in the week before you were too busy building your kingdom, doing what you wanted to do, taking care of your mess, being God in other people's life? I find that God never gives back less than what we give to him. Never. Real quick, I read a story called A Thousand Marbles. This 55-year-old radio host one day got on the radio and he said, listen, I've discovered that if I live to be 75 years old, I have approximately a thousand more Sundays left to go to church and serve with my church family. So when he was 55, he went out and he bought a thousand marbles, put them in a huge jar. Every Sunday morning before church, he would take one marble out and throw it away. Without fail, this went on week after week, month after month, year after year. He watched as his jar of marbles dwindled down to nothing. When he turned 75 years old, he was on the radio on a Saturday night. He said, tomorrow morning before church, I'm going to take out my final marble. If I'm on the radio again next week, then we must assume that God has given me extra time. The reason that a lot of people know how to prioritize their life is because they know how valuable 86,400 seconds can be. And I'm not trying to be offensive to y'all, but you guys in here, y'all are losing your marbles. Time's running out. There's no redo we can't do today over again.